This is the Black Creative Handbook with your host, Cassandra Lauren Gordon. This podcast will help to inspire, motivate, and give that blueprint, the manual for success for people in the creative businesses, for people from the African and Black diaspora to help us just move along, get that bag, and no more starving artist syndrome. No, out the door. Co-work with us. Be with us and be successful and get the gems. You might have heard in the podcast, or you're going to hear it soon, that this was called the Creative For You podcast. Don't worry about that. It's Creative For You. Let's be successful and be positive. This is the Create For You podcast and I'm here with Jamelia. Hi. Hi Jamelia. So this podcast is about how special people like you create special memories for people and make them last forever in different mediums. So please explain Mm -hmm. what's your organisation and what do you do? So my organisation is called Rising Scribes and we're a creative arts organisation. We run workshops, events, exhibitions, activities in the community, specifically for vulnerable groups. So that could be a poetry workshop with disabled young people. It could be a photography workshop with people in homeless shelters. And really, it's just about building community, helping people to connect with each other, connect with themselves, improve their mental health and well-being, have fun. Okay, especially mental health and well-being, especially in these times, is very, very important. So... How I start is like I do some fireside chat questions, just things to get mm-hmm. to people to know you because I think like people connect with people and Agreed. people buy from people. So I have some questions. So, what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Hmm, I think so. 18, I had just started uni, moved out for the first time. And I was quite scared. I went to Brunel in Uxbridge. I wasn't too, too far from home, but far enough that I didn't have to live at home. (laughs) That was my plan. Mm -hmm. I think my advice to myself would have been, you don't have to completely change who you are. Mm. I think I went to uni believing that I could reinvent myself um, as if I wasn't enough how I was already. Mm. And maybe in first year got carried away with that concept of becoming someone new Mm. and not having anyone know my background or like where I came from and and what I did. And so, yes, some more self-acceptance and to be able to stand in my truth and present that in a very positive way without um, just focusing on being in the in crowd and what that meant. And letting go of some of my own morals in, in order to fit in. Mm. Okay, that was very insightful. There's a lot of self-reflection there. Okay. So the next question is, what uh, advice would you give to your 27-year-old self? <laughs> right, so at 27, this is another key age of my life. Um, I just got married. Oh, okay. Um, so I would say to myself, have have fun like enjoy who you are becoming Mm. I think I was very 
worried about hitting milestones and my purpose and future and trying to have a path planned out for the next 20 years and so focused on the end goal that I wasn't stopping to just appreciate day-to-day things small things Mm. and so yeah I would definitely say just relax like things will happen when they're supposed to happen it's all a process laugh more smile more um, do silly things it's okay um, and definitely like make mistakes and don't berate yourself for them I'm quite perfectionist when it comes to life and I can get really frustrated with myself when I don't achieve in a way I think I ought to mm-hmm. and I think that has prevented a lot of growth it's, mm-hmm. it's good in some aspects but I think it's hard when you're like always harsh on yourself mm. about things mm. um, and not give yourself opportunity to learn and to grow. So I would definitely tell myself like, chill, you'll get there. Okay. I wish I heard that at 27. <laughs> yeah, me too. I didn't hear that at all. And I feel like I need to take the advice at my age right now. What are any you... age, that's a good reflection. I'm, I'm telling have. you, because geez, all that stress was for nothing. <laughs> in my in my case yeah. but yeah and what are you curious about right now what are you curious about so right now in this period um so i've got two kids mm-hmm. uh leia who's four Noah who's just turned six months and i'm really curious about how my family pathology affects my parenting and i'm really thinking about how my grandma coming over from Jamaica and leaving my mum in Jamaica and then um, sending for her when she was like 11, how that affected their relationship, how that affected my mum becoming a mother and Mm. our relationship and what are the things that I'm carrying within myself that I need to resolve in order to have better relationships with my children. So, yeah, I'm really curious about patterns and intergenerational traumas Ooh, I was going to use that word and but I didn't want to say it <laughs> no no you can say it because it's real and I'm really interested in how we can want different but if we don't do the work within ourselves we will end up repeating patterns Ooh. and so the strength that it takes to actually delve into your trauma and heal it um in order to, to set a new narrative for the next generation is something I'm curious about and exploring in my own therapy sessions because it's necessary. Uh, but it's something I also want to write about when I get there. In poetry, short stories, what, what, what medium? I think it will take a variety of different forms. I'm writing about my relationship with my mum and it's interesting because they're quite, they're quite cold poems when I look back at them now. Mm. And I think if I write about how that's changed, you'll definitely see a progression in the poem. Mm. But I also have a real interest in collating the voices of the, the elders mm. and having them in a way that younger children like, like Leia, my daughter, will be able to listen back to. So maybe some kind of short documentary or film um, because my maternal grandma, she has dementia now, so I can't get those stories from her. Mm. And I think it's all great, like 
reading things, but hearing someone's voice, it just changes the whole um, concept of, of what it means. So, yeah, some way to archive some of those so memories would be great. It's like oral history, isn't it? And I feel... Uh, just, just, just in case the the listeners don't know, but we're both black women uh, from the African di- <laughs> from from the African diaspora. Um, so yeah. basically, in the motherland, um, you know, or history, your elders will pass on yeah. the knowledge, and you know your history, and you have that continuity. And mm-hmm. in a way, I'm talking for you, but please say, is the word of displacement when you're in England? I guess if you're not born here. And that having that yeah. connection, and you look to your grandparents, and and great, and how do you carry that that history going on to your daughters or for your or, or for future generations? Am I getting that yeah, right? Or am I talking? No, I, yeah, I would definitely agree, and I think there has been a lack of passing down of stories. Mm. I think due to trauma, the trauma of being in this country, being displaced having to deal with some harsh conditions and racism Mm. and um, almost a suppression of those stories that we didn't have access to. And Mm. I know that for me, I thought that my grandma was a really cold woman. And now that I've learned things about what she had to deal with, Mm. um, domestic violence, being homeless with five kids, stillbirth, um, I realised that it's a form of protection for Mm. her and it's how she survived. But for me, growing up, it was like, well, I I don't know much about who I am more than what I'm creating for myself being a black British woman. Mm. And Mm. so it's trying to connect the dots of all of the pieces um, so that we have a story to tell that's accurate and it's not just based on what we think or feel, but like those elders have have found their voice again and Mm. are able to now open up to us about some of those things that are painful yeah and troublesome so it sounds like what you're saying that you know stories are important you're seems like from what you do you're a natural storyteller um how how important is storytelling in in 2020 through your different mediums yeah I think it's just, it's life, you know, Mm. storytelling, it's what helps us to understand the world, understand each other, it's how we escape from our own realities, it's why we Netflix and chill, it's why we, you know, watch things that have crap acting, but we want to just remove ourselves from our own reality, and when we tell our own stories, I think it really gives us value and Mm. it allows us to exist beyond our own minds. And in Writers and Scribes, especially working with vulnerable groups, they are often in places of chaos and confusion when we meet with them. Mm. They're at women's refuges or they've just been released from prison or they're in a homeless shelter. And it's giving value to to that story that is beyond their circumstance and saying that there is more to you than what has happened to you, Mm. that this doesn't define you, that you can rewrite the narrative through your own voice Mm. and have that stigma removed from it. I think it's really empowering for those people, but it's also necessary for society to not have this very closed-minded view of who these people are Mm. and who these women are 
why women stay with abusive partners and you know we, we can all make up our own narrative but when you hear someone's story you know you can you can empathize you can come out of a sense of judgment and connect to the humanity of a person which I think is what society needs to have compassion and kindness to people that are different mm. from us um, and to be more connected to each other because our emotions are quite similar although we might face different stories when there is an emotional center that's what we connect to because we know what that feels like mm, mm. so you said a lot there a lot to unpack it's about so as writers and scribes your um your organization how do you work with these vulnerable people or the people you work with and how do mm-hmm. you make it from the first workshop or exhibition how do you make sure that it's a memorable experience with the people who you work with, the, the end end user? Yeah, so we are definitely person centered, and what we are Could always. Could you explain that for do, people? Doesn't mean like some people don't know what person. Yeah, the, the, the sure. Approach. So whenever we have our activities, whenever we're building our workshops or our sessions, we're always doing it from the position of the person that's going to be experiencing what we put on. Mm. And so it's not about us, um, you know, patting ourselves on the back for how great we created a workshop, but it's what is the experience that person's going to have when they enter the space, when they talk to the people, mm-hmm. all the way through the session. And so we, we, we know that people are different, they have different needs, they're coming from a lot of different backgrounds, but what we want to create is a safe space where they can feel heard where they can uh, feel valued (coughs) and uh, where they can enjoy themselves Mm. I think for us we don't spend enough time as adults being creative Mm. we often are so uh, busy consumed with the things that are going wrong Mm. and often don't have an outlet for those feelings so for us we want that whoever walked into our workshop to experience themselves in a new way. A lot of the times we have people who tell us, you know, I don't write poetry, I don't do poetry, I can't. I can't do it, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And our aim is to show people that who they are is important enough to write about and what they have to Mm. say Mm. is important enough to be heard. Mm. And um, we're not trying to turn the whole world into poets. But it's the tool that we use to help people um, find their way. Um, So, yeah, I guess for us, it's for them to be in a space where creativity is encouraged, but also they're not pressured to do anything. It's very gentle in terms of participation. You don't have to share. You don't have to speak if you don't want to. If you just want to sit and listen to the poem. Um, it's not a educational setting. We're not marking work. Um, we don't care about spelling. It's, we don't care if it's in English. We encourage people to write in their mother tongue and <clears throat> to be free of that um, judgment of, oh, I don't know how to write a complete sentence or my English teacher told me this about myself. And, yeah, it's literally about their voice. If If you have something to say we're willing to listen to it okay i hear you i hear you so 
when you were say the homeless people refu- I, I, I don't want to use these things everyone's like a sad story but people of certain yeah, yeah, yeah. circumstance we're with them for the first time how yeah. do i know it depends on the person but just broadly how do you structure all the, the sessions to build that rapport so they feel that they have a really good experience what practical things do you do there yeah so we always have food yeah uh snacks are important okay so we have snacks we have music in the background. Um, we're very cordial with people when they come in. We're very interested in them. We look them in the eye. We have attentive listening. We want to know about them. We're very curious about them. <clears throat> and I think the activities that we do are structured in a way that people want to take part. Um, so we always start off with things that are very um, easy, easily accessible, mm. but require some creative thinking. So we might ask someone to describe your mood as a beverage. Mm. And, you know, we're not actually asking you to tell us how you're feeling. Mm. You don't have to share anything personal. Mm. But depending on your answer, you know, we can allude to what that might be. Um, it turns into a bit of a guessing game. People might say anything mm. from sparkling water to a vodka and coke. Mm. And, like, it's about getting people in the room, getting them to use the creative part of their brain, having fun, laughing. Um, we always share more than anyone in the first session so that they know that it's a place where we're not just going to ask questions and not tell you about ourselves. Like we are also in the room. We are also participating. Mm. Any activity that we set, we do it as well. Mm. So if we're telling everyone to do a free write for five minutes, we're writing for five minutes because it's not about us being the teacher. We want to engage in the activity that's about sharing and doing things together. And I think that really sets the tone that we want to be on an equal standing with them and mm. not just bark orders at them. So you're working in partnership facilitating. It's not like mm-hmm. you do things onto them. It's it's, yeah. it's a process where everyone is kind of like equal to, and they have a chance if they will, if they want to, to share their voice and to be heard because sometimes in spaces yeah. they're not heard or seen as very, very passive um, in this, in this society for whatever reason. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. So that's one part of what your organisation does. What are, what are the next strand of what your organisation? Yeah, so we also are really interested in the progression of artists. Mm-hmm. So we want to support our facilitators. We want to support people who are trying to emerge as artists and provide opportunities for learning and for growth. So we have masterclasses. We have um, support writing groups that run. Um, we do training. So as much as we are about the community, we don't think it's fair to expect things of artists if we don't also want to develop those artists. Mm. So as much as they give to the community, we want to give to them as mm. well. Um, and I think that that's why a lot of artists stay with us while they like working for us because mm. they also feel valued in the work that they do um it's not just about us collecting money from their work but we're interested in what they're creating and how they're doing it outside of their work with us how can we support that 
what ideas do they have that we could allow them to run with. So mm. it's a partnership, not mm. just with the beneficiaries, but with those facilitators as well. Okay. So you do artists. What about the exhibitions, the events, the immersive experiences you do? How do you cater that to your client or the organisation who, who you partner with? Yeah, so one of the things that we love about creating is the opportunity to share. Um, when we are telling voices that they deserve to be heard, we need to give them an audience as well. So we like to end our projects with some kind of sharing, whether that's a showcase or an exhibition or an event. Mm. And that often take, we like to create books because it's a physical it's a physical representation of the work mm. but it's also something they can be proud of that they can mm. take away that they can show to other people it's not just I performed at this event it's like I'm in this book like here's my work you can read it you can buy it you can purchase it and it is a sense of accomplishment I think for anyone to be in a book or um you know in an article when people see their name in print mm. and their words in print it gives such value to who they are. So we like to celebrate it in that way. We run community events. So sometimes we're asked to do workshops for festivals, um, for celebrations, literary events in the community. And Mm -hmm. with those as well, we're trying to bring something fun and different that people will enjoy even if they think they don't like creative writing or they Mm. think that it's not for them um just showing them that it is for everyone and our feedback shows that people have a great time which is what we're trying to bring okay don't get me wrong there was something what you did was it last year or the year before about was it barbershop and hair and how you did things Mm -hmm. could you explain the experience what you created Sure. So um, we came up with this idea called the Switch Project, and it was out of a like a creative collaboration group at Battersea Art Centre. We spent the day researchers and artists and companies trying to come up with an idea that would target a specific group or a specific problem. And so one of the things that we noticed was that black men specifically only make up one percent of audiences at galleries and theatres and different art spaces Mm. and so we were talking about exclusion and why people don't feel like spaces are for them Mm. and how we could um change that and Mm. we wanted to switch what an art space is or what is considered to be an art space Mm. (coughs) and so um the the point was to take somewhere that they feel comfortable, that they feel safe, mm. um, which is barbershops. We know that, you know, statistically, black men are very loyal to their barbers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very intimate relationship with somebody in your head and you're trusting them with, you know, sharp uh, blades yes. near your... <laughs> Make sure your fade <laughs> is actually, you know, faded properly. Straight, yeah, straight. Lines yeah. up. Mm. Um, and it's a place where a lot of change happens. You know, when people exit a barbershop, they leave differently than when they came in. Mm. Not just in their hairstyle, but in their confidence, in the way they walk. And we also believe that art shifts people in, a, in, a, in the same way that it brings about change. Mm. So 
we had quite a few barbershops in Tooting sign up and we had artists go in on different days and just do live art in the space. So we had uh, musicians, we had photography, mm. we had um, okay. live art, so people drawing in the space, we had ah, spoken words. Okay. So, yeah, it was just about people being exposed to art where they weren't expecting it mm. and what that would do for their perception of what an art space is. Okay, okay. And how did they find it? In your barber, like, you know, when I used to have short, <laughs> short hair, I used to go to barbershops all, all the time, very male-dominated, lots of chat. How did they experience this 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 art in in the barbershop yeah so what we found was especially the live music mm. uh, people said that it changed the atmosphere of the space mm. that it became more relaxing more chill the barbers really appreciated it as well they felt like they had a different rhythm to their work because we had mostly acoustic Singers go in with guitars. We had some violin playing, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like you know typical hip hop that might already be playing. It was mm. very different. And um, with the spoken words, what they liked about it was that there was a focal point, so mm. it was an experience for everyone to enjoy yeah. and then they could all talk about it afterwards. So that was also really good. And you know, with the photography, they just loved it because. They like getting their picture taken, <laughs> and um, when the when the pictures were developed, mm. the barbers enjoyed it because they said it made them feel appreciated mm. as if what they do is art. And yes, it's, it's a skill, you know. You it can't mess a, up your head. Listen, I just it's a skill. Like I can tell as a punt, I'm not a black male, but as a punter, when about five years ago, when I had my hair was short, I used to go to barbers and cut my hair. In a black barbers, Jamaican barbers, probably yeah. um, the experience was interesting because a I was the only woman, and all you can hear is like loud music, and then everyone's just <laughs> chatting over each other, and yeah. then all the men are saying, "Why are you here? <laughs> Go get your hair! Like we want you with long hair, not short hair." And you can wow. hear the, the, no, but in in a joke, in a nice jokey yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, but you know, like yeah, I can imagine. I did just say. So to have a bit of order, like a focal point, when that one minute, you know, some people coming in, can you buy perfume? Can you buy this? And um, people are chatting over there. People having a bit of a drink over there. I'm not sure they should be drinking. And then um, everyone's chatting yeah. and random, random conversation. And 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 sometimes they have the TV on, and sometimes not. So you don't know where to look when you're yeah. in the when you're in the chair. And then you know, so it's such a nice. Yeah, I wish I wish when I had my hair cut, I had nice acoustic music and, you know, make it feel yeah. like an event, you know? Yeah, and I think the, some of the um, people that got their hair cut also said that they felt more relaxed in the chair. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes they talked about, like, being tense because obviously you want, the, you want it to be perfect mm. and, like looking at the room and trying to see what's going on but it's like the music was a distraction mm. but it was a calming presence so afterwards they felt like um they enjoyed it more mm. they just had a good time they said not all the time they said not every day because you know we like the bands and we like the <laughs> talking and the chatting but they were like once in a while it's like a welcome change okay cool okay so the next one i want to ask you about was um you as an artist or a poet or a writer 
how when you get commissioned um how what's going what is the process with you or the person who or the organization who commissions you to write something or to display something sure so um well i can actually talk about something quite recent okay so i got commissioned to write a um a 10 minute monologue poetic monologue on uh feminism and it was it was quite a challenge for me because I don't come from a theatre background. Mm. I haven't done any playwriting courses, and so my initial uh, way to handle it was to treat it like a poem. Mm. But I had to really step out of my comfort zone. I had to listen to monologues. I had to think about how they're written and what's the different styles. Mm. But also to be confident in that they picked me for a reason. Like, there's something that they see in my work, why they've commissioned me, um, and trying to use that to push past writer's block and self-doubt mm. and all of the other imposter syndrome thoughts that can come um, when someone's paying you to do a thing. Because when you're writing for yourself, you don't have anyone to disappoint but yourself. Mm, mm. But when you're being commissioned to do something, it's like, oh, there's going to be a judgment of the work that I produced at the end. Mm. Um, so for me, it was important to have regular communication uh, with the commissioner to make sure I understood the brief. Um, how, do sure how, how do you do that? How do you do that? Because sometimes you'll write something, you're like, oh, I don't understand. How, how do you interpret it? Because you want to make sure we do a good job. How did you make sure... Yeah, so I, I read the brief initially. Um, I agreed to the brief. I signed the contract. And then in the process of doing it, I emailed the commissioner and I just said, you know, these are the thoughts that I'm having. Could mm. you tell me whether this is I'm on the right track? Mm, mm. Can you give me any examples of what, um, you know, you want the end to be like and kind of help me to curve it out because mm, it can mm. be quite quite vague to mm. get a commission it's like oh do what you want but you know that that's that's not really true because you can get it wrong so mm. that, means, <laughs> that means you can't completely do what you want so yeah i got i got some helpful feedback i got a couple of videos to look at um that gave me direction and then um you know we had decided on a first draft and then a review so i knew that the work that I submitted initially would not be the final. Mm. And I think that took a lot of pressure off as well because it was like, I am committing myself to do change and they are committing to work with me that we can have something that we are both happy with. Mm. So I think um, just being very open and also like the, the deadline was approaching and there was a lot going on in my family. There was a couple incidents and, oh, can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Absolutely fine. Okay, cool. Perfect. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was going to make the deadline. Um, but I communicated that very early on. Mm. Um, I think communication is the best thing. Uh, people are more than happy to accommodate you if you're honest and open and don't wait till mm. five minutes before the deadline to be like, actually, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get this in on time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think trusting the process as well, um, doing a lot of free writes, doing a lot of research and allowing myself to experiment were all uh, part part of that as well. So 
so first off, my name says edit to be done. Um, but I'm looking forward to what it will bring out of me. I think commissions can definitely be a challenge that um, give you something you wouldn't necessarily do on your own. Mm. And what can you learn about your own creative process by taking on the commission? How can you stretch yourself? Um, and how will it improve your work in the future by, by doing something different? Okay, so on the theme of like winning or getting commissions or getting more work at festivals or, you know, getting you know, just call it, let them just call them recruitment commissions. How do you get them? So if someone wants to be like you, have a creative, how, how would you describe from a creative organisation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a creative organisation or as an artist or as a writer, how would you put yourself to get more commissions and, you know? Yeah, so I think in terms of commissions, to, to get more, it's about being visible. People are not going to ask you to do things unless they know you have work. Um, and that can be in different ways. Like I don't have a personal website for my poetry. I I have my organisation website, but I don't have a personal like website for me. Maybe that's coming soon, who knows. But um, for me, it's about contacting places that you would like to work, talking about what you do, Maybe, like, say there's a, <clears throat> like, a museum or a gallery that you want to form a partnership with, contacting them, having um, talks about what you do and talk about them in a positive way. Like, oh, I came to see this exhibition that you showed and this was what I liked about it. This really inspired me. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about including poetry in your next exhibition? These are some of the things that I do. Creative people um, always looking to connect with other creatives, but also it's about pushing the boundaries. So um, to a place that may not usually have poetry, like, um, I don't know, a conference on something that you're interested in, mm-hmm. and they've got loads of speakers, but there's no art. If you approach those people mm-hmm. and, and say, look, I can do something entertaining, but also inspiring for this event, there's a likelihood that if they don't book you for this one, they'll come back to you for the next one. Mm. Because people like to have breaks, especially in long... You know, we all lose concentration when uh, we're in something for a whole day and it's just people talking at us. It's nice to break it up with some kind of art. So mm. just being open to have those conversations. If you want to talk to people on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram, you know, most people can be contacted somewhere. Um, so yeah but start with what you like about what they're doing before you try and pitch yourself mm. uh, so it, it shows that you thought about how you fit in with what they're already doing Okay. so you've talked about what you do in your organisation how to get more commissions, how you build client, um, relationships with the end user which is the you know the participants and also yeah. with the people who pay you or, I don't know, your client or the person who you partner with. So who are yeah. the ideal people who you like to part, partner with or get commissions from? Who, who, who are ideal people you like to work with? So as an organisation, um, if we're going to run workshops, um, our favourite types of people <laughs> to work with are usually charitable organisations 
mm. who are on the ground doing frontline work, mm. um, who usually don't have a lot of funding, who have a lot of care and support for the participants, but haven't got the resources to provide artistic outlets um, so that we know that we're providing value to their service mm. and to their to their participants. So those are our favourite types of organisations when it, it's evident that we are filling a need mm. um, and not just adding to something that already exists. Mm. Um, and then also just like companies that have a social impact uh, philosophy, who mm-hmm. care, who are trying to make a difference. You know, anyone who's trying to do good in the world, we're happy to partner with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not trying to do good, we're happy to come and show them how to good. use their money to do good. Okay, social sustainability. Um, okay. Yes, social justice. Take okay, your riches so. and help the people out here. So Why not? So, yeah. Okay. So we've reviewed everything. You kind of said everything. You said so much. I was writing notes like, oh my god, I need to. Do, I need to do some of these these things as well. So it's all practical. So I know I'm going to put it in the show notes. But how can people find the work what you do for your own self and for your organization? Sure. So if you want to find me personally, um, I my favorite social media to use is Twitter. Um, my at is Poetic Gems, J-E-M-Z. Mm. And if you follow me, my the app for the organisation is like in my bio. Mm-hmm. That's Writers and Scribes and our website is writersandscribes.org. Um, I have a couple of things out on YouTube, but they're very old. Um, I've been published in a lot of places, but they're not online. So you kind of need physical copies. But... Um, like what, what type anything. of poetry um, places or creative writing spaces you've been published? Yeah, so um, the Pittsburgh Poetry Review, uh, the Good Journal, I was in their first, um, their first journal, one of five poets, um, different anthologies, one that came out with Platypus Press and Magma, the poetry magazine. Wow, Magma's big one. Yeah, that was quite recently as well. So I'm but yeah, I even for me, I need to start submitting more. I think I had a big fear at the beginning, like oh, no one wants this in there, you know, very fancy, glossy magazines. I'm not that type of poet, but um, I've learned that rejections come. Like your work will not be for everybody, and that's okay. Mm. And you just need to find where it belongs. You know, like not. You wouldn't marry everybody, so like <laughs> you would be, you would pick and shoot. And like when people have um, their magazines and their journals, you know they're picking and choosing based on their own aesthetic, based on their own interest. Mm. And it's not a direct relation to the quality of your work. It just might not be a good fit. You know when people are like, "Oh yeah, she's lovely, but I'd never date her." Like mm. there's just we wouldn't we wouldn't fit together. So I think just being realistic and not taking rejection as a personal attack um, mm-hmm. and not being discouraged but also knowing that if you don't submit you won't get published at all you've got to try 
I was just writing. Less for any industry, you know. This is me trying to like. I need to start publishing poems. I haven't done it. Yeah. I haven't done it. I always try. I do sometimes come competitions, but then I get like. I then then I give up. But it's just so great shoot to your see shot. like. Huh? Say again. Got to shoot your shot. Got to shoot your shot. So you're inspiring me. It's like, oh god, I need to to 2020. You know, I yeah, got yeah, yeah. I got a public. After this, you know, what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna send you this um spreadsheet of all the submission dates that are coming up i was gonna ask you that well for my personal yeah. for my personal use but yeah for your personal use yeah oh amazing okay that's very inspiring okay now put it out in the universe and the world's gonna hear it i have to do it so mm-hmm. and i'm gonna hold Cass accountable she's oh. going to submit to at least five different places I have to, man. I'm, get, I'm getting older. So this is what you do. So when you hang out with creators, when you hear inspirational women, like I'm just in awe. I don't have no children. I don't have nothing. And you're doing all these great things. And me by my little self with my cat, <laughs> not producing as much volume uh, as you do. So I just find it very inspirational and how you grew your, um, your organization and getting work and keeping that going. I just thought that, you know, and helping out the community. You can't act like you're not an inspiration on your own. You've I'm, done a lot. Let's not, I'm let's not take away from that. I'm okay? tried. I've tried very, very hard. But, you know, the people I interview on here, most of people do it for the private sector or the, for mm. themselves or self-employed or, you know, but you're doing it like you're really helping people's lives and I'm creating great experience for people. Even for I, for me, maybe it's a bit of contra, uh, bit trite and contrived what I'm saying. For that homeless person or person in a refuge, I used to I don't know if I told you I used to be a domestic violence worker. Mm-hmm. So I used to work in refuges or in the community. And for the women, you know, literally take their bin bags with their children to these places, literally. and then they leave them let everything, everything, everything you know, because it was volatile. When a woman leaves. Uh, her, yeah. their, their partner is the most dangerous time the more you know more likely to die and their children yeah for whatever yeah. reason or not right it's not likely anyway it's that's crazy. my passion to go down so, right, so i have like one just one story go ahead tell me tell me tell me so um i did a set of five workshops at this ref- refuge in Croydon, and um it was amazing the women were mm. lovely they mm. really engaged with um what with the work we did mm. and then like two years later I was in a soft play with my daughter and this woman came up to me and she was like you're a poet right and I was like yeah yeah mm. I am she was like you used to run workshops at this um this woman's refuge do you remember me and you know when somebody tells you something and then your mind clicks mm. I was looking in her face like I know you but where from and so as soon as she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I remember. I did it because we used to do like little yoga stretches mm. at the end and like little well-being things. Mm. And she told me that, you know, those workshops really changed her life. Mm. She said they made her feel empowered. She was going through rough custody battles with her ex-husband. And she said having that space to release and to write and to vent gave her the strength to say what she needed to say in court and she was like my life's changed I'm in a great relationship my kids are great she was like I always remember those workshops I always talk about those workshops to people and it was just like it was just amazing for me because I was like expecting mm. I was just out with my kids in a ball pit you know mm. <laughs> her to come to me and tell me that I was just like wow like we are actually changing people's yes, lives you are you are that's mm. what we want to do 
Oh, it's so. I wish when I was working in um, refuges and places like that, we had your like kind of services. That, you know, people like this is back about ten years ago. But when I was working, people like when it's Christmas, everyone like big corporations, things will give out gifts and Santa Claus. But when it's not Christmas, and that woman literally with her kids in a cramped room, right? Mm. You know, it's not glorious spaces. You know, it's safe, but it's not glorious spaces. Yeah. They need that to get their voice back and their confidence and rebuild their lives. So I just, yeah. you know, you, you hear the passion, like these things no, are, are needed yeah. and memories for these women to have these courage from mm. what the trauma they've been through. So, um, yeah, kudos to you for, you know, helping them you know, get their, 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 not helping, but facilitating their voice. They, they, yeah. they were always, they always had it. It was it, always there. It was yeah, always it was there, but, yeah. Just um, reminding them, yeah. Just reminding them who they are. More than just a mum, they're, oh, they're, they're that person, or, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, or not a victim, but, or whatever survivor, they're a person, so. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So on that note, thank you very much. Yeah. People can thank contact you. you. No worries. I put it in the show notes and now you inspire me. Like I have to do get back on my poetry. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you. Let me get it right now. So <laughs> I need to do it 2020. <laughs> 2020. Oh, jeez. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Okay, great. All right. So thank you very much and hope thank you. you inspire many more lives. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Black Creative Handbook. Your handbook for success. The manual. What you need to get there. Keep on working with us. Please share, comment, rate us. Just help us out. We help you. You help us. We're family. Speak soon, next time, same time, next week. Show everybody love.